14 is where we're going to be today. If you would, turn in your Bibles there, Mark 14. And we continue on in the study of Jesus' life and his ministry. We're here today right before uh, he goes to the cross. Eric, if you would, can you tweak me just a bit? I'll be reading verses 53 to 72. 53 to 72 out of Mark chapter 14. It says, And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another, not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy! And the guards received him with blows. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also are with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out again into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you're a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Heavenly Father, we ask this morning that you would teach us through the example of Peter and the hard lesson that he learned here and by looking to Jesus Christ, our suffering Savior, that we would look at him and learn from him how we are to live in this world, a world that is filled with suffering, a world that is filled with evil, a world that is filled with those who are opposing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Teach us, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Part of a parent's responsibility is to teach their children from their own experience how to stay off of a path of destruction. 
So I want my kids to learn from me and what I've experienced in this life so that they don't have to experience the same things that I have. And so you want to pass along wisdom to them. But some kids want it their own way and want to learn those lessons from their own experience. This should be the same way that it is inside of the church as well, that the more mature, having walked with Jesus for a long time, take aside somebody who is, a, is much younger in the faith and teach them out of their own experience what it means for them to follow Jesus Christ so that they can avoid some of the same pitfalls that they have made along their path. And not only do we learn discipleship from those who are physically with us on the journey, we can also learn discipleship through the experiences of those who have gone long before us. As we've seen over the course of the last several months, we've been able to learn what it means to follow Jesus by the example of his followers, his first 12 disciples. Often we have learned by seeing what we ought not to do or by their misunderstanding who Jesus is, or by their sin. They have learned hard lessons in discipleship. They have struggled along the path. And those lessons that they have learned are on display in the Word of God forever to those who come behind them to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. So that we do not... We do not have to learn it through our own experiences. Today, we are going to learn a hard lesson in discipleship from Peter. He felt the temptation to distance himself from Jesus when the pressures of this world hit him unexpectedly. They came upon him, and there came an opportunity for him to distance himself from his Lord. And brothers and sisters, we need to understand that the same temptation may come to us this week. So let's learn from Peter. Maybe you remember where we've been over the last couple of weeks that the night before this right here took place, Peter declared that even if all the other disciples left the side of Jesus, where would he be? He would stay right there by his Lord. He would not leave him, but he was not going to run away and be a coward. He would be the last man standing if it came to that. And when Jesus heard that, he told Peter that not only would he run away from him, there would come a time when he would deny even knowing him. Peter steps it up and says that he will die with his master. Denial to Peter sounded absolutely ridiculous. That is not going to happen. I will die by your side if it comes to it. And because the four Gospels, they all record the details of Peter's denial, we know that these ancient authors saw something here in this story that needed to be told for everybody who would come along and read it. They did not just want to beat up on Peter, pick on Peter. And if Mark's gospel is Peter's own telling, from his own mouth, the life and ministry of Jesus, we know that he too saw this episode as needful 
something that needed to be told, painful, but needful. And it's often that way, isn't it? The painful things are the things that grow us the most. Bodybuilders say, no pain, no gain. But Christians can testify to that same truth, that our greatest gains come through our greatest pains. Difficulty breeds strength. And we all know that if we understand what comes along after this, if you've read the book of Acts, if you've read First and Second Peter, you know that Peter became a strong man for the Lord. A strong man for the Lord. But that would only be possible by experiencing great weakness, being humbled, and having his weaknesses exposed to everyone. And you and I need to understand as we begin looking at this man's worst failure that having our sins and our weaknesses exposed to us, exposed to others, is the pathway of strength in the Christian walk. If that is what leads us to walk closer to Jesus and find his strength, it is well worth it. So look with me at the first couple of verses of this passage. Jesus has just been captured like a robber, like a vigilante, like a thug, in darkness by men with swords and clubs, and he's led away to the house of the high priest. And we see something very important here about Peter's location. Where is he in this story? The man who was so sure that he would never fall away from Christ, who would never leave his side, where is he at right now? Do you see it? He is following Christ at a distance. Things have just gotten real for Peter. You know, before it was about what a man would do when the time came. Well, that time has come. It is upon him. Where it's no longer about declarations, it's about actions. Following Jesus has now threatened Peter's life. His life, his liberty, his pursuit of happiness has all been threatened by following Jesus. And when that happens, distance, we see, is now put in between him and his Lord. Safety. Not following closely, not ready to die by his side. He is following Jesus at a distance. Now, he has not completely abandoned his Lord. He didn't bolt that night to go back to a life of fishing. Not immediately. He's not thrown in the towel. But he does choose to stay safe. We've been learning right after chapter 8, ever since chapter 8. Don't remember when that was, when we were in chapter 8 months ago. We have been learning ever since then what it looks like to follow Jesus to the cross. His cross, the physical cross that he would suffer on, but as a disciple, we have been told we will follow him to a different kind of cross as well. Simply by following him, that's what's going to happen. You will meet your own cross. And so I don't think that Mark's choice of words here is an accident Peter is now following Jesus at a distance. So listen to what Jesus told Peter and those disciples back in chapter 8. 
It says, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. Nobody could misunderstand him and what he is saying. I am going to die and suffer at those men's hands. And after three days, he's going to be raised again. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he, Jesus, rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Now listen to what it means to follow Jesus from Jesus' own words. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. What is Jesus telling Peter here? What does it look like to follow him? He's just told him that he's going he's to go himself into Jerusalem and be killed by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. Where's Jesus at right now? That's where he is. He is about to meet his cross. But what about Peter? Where's he at? Is he following Jesus? Is he losing his life for the sake of the gospel? Or is he seeking to save his life, which Jesus says will lose it for him? So when the moment came, Peter chooses to stay safe and follow at a distance. And I do believe that you and I can learn from Peter here. When the temperature starts to go up, the temptation for you and for me will be to follow Jesus from a distance. So I can still say that I'm following him. It's just a little bit safer and a little bit more comfortable from this distance. And so when the people in your workplace start to ask you questions about what's going on in the world and what do you think about this and what do you think about that? When the other moms in the playgroup start to talk about culture, when someone on Facebook asks you a question because you're a Christian and want to know your opinion, when your peers at school do the same, that's when this happens. Maybe you'll want to give an answer that shows that you're still following Jesus, but you're not like all the other Christians. You want to sound more thoughtful less critical of the world, maybe, maybe just a little bit more critical of the church. Try to earn some brownie points with them so that in your mind you can continue to have the conversation all to avoid saying whatever it is you know that will offend them. And you get branded one of those Christians, one of those followers of Jesus. That'll get you canceled Maybe not by the culture at large, but maybe by your coworkers, maybe by your friends, maybe by your family. You can't have that. 
And don't get me wrong, there are charitable and tactful ways to engage the world with truth, with love, with wisdom. But beware, beware the temptation in your own heart lurking down in there to follow Jesus at a distance, to play it safe, to stay away from anything that sounds biblical like sin, the need for repentance, and faith in a crucified Savior, to call anybody to that. Beware the temptation to stay at a safe distance from suffering. The fear of being ostracized, left out, labeled an extremist or a bigot. In all your efforts, you might think, you might think that you're making a good case for Christianity, but find that you are only watering it down. So I'm asking you to pay attention to what's going on inside your heart so that when the time comes, and it will, it might be today, it'll come for all of us. When that time comes that you'll notice that sad desire to stay at a safe distance when following Jesus in this world becomes uncomfortable. Because understand this, that sin and Satan are not satisfied with you remaining at that safe distance. Now certainly sin and Satan like it more than you following Jesus closely, but they're not satisfied with you staying there. Peter shows us that. You might think it's a good place to be, but it is kind of a no man's land. It's a place that's neither hot nor cold. A place where Jesus, as he says to one church, that he would spit them out of his mouth. So it's not really following him, and Jesus is not satisfied with that. Because following Jesus, he's told us what that means. Going to the cross, denying self. But Satan's not satisfied with that either. He wants you to carry this safe distance thing all the way to its natural end. And what is that? Denial. Peter shows us that conclusion. And so Mark comes back to, G to Peter's story in verse 66. And we find him there. He's warming himself at a distance from this trial of Jesus. He's within earshot. It's not like Jesus is in some upper room separated completely from Peter. I think Peter is just down some steps in a little courtyard. Jesus up here on a landing. And you've got some guards and some other people down here just warming themselves by the fire, waiting to see what is going to happen. And so there is Peter with all the guards, maybe even some of those men that carried Jesus away. He's with them warming himself. And a servant girl looks at him and says, you were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denies it. But notice what Peter does here. Verse 68 tells us. It says he went out into the gateway. So he was there at least somewhat maybe close to Jesus, down a few steps, maybe within earshot. What does he do now when he's been accused? A little more distance. 
He goes out there into the gateway, maybe out there into the darkness, just a little bit further where nobody can kind of see his face as well as they could when he was there by the fire. So he knows that even at that distance, that what he thought was a safe distance, it's getting a little bit uncomfortable. Let me move further away. But the servant girl would not leave him alone. She starts to tell other people, yes, he is one of them. He is one of those followers of Jesus. We've seen him all over the city with Jesus. That is one of them. And now the other bystanders start in on Peter. They start to say, yeah, yeah, not only have we seen you, we know you're all from Galilee. You've got that accent. We can tell that's who you are. And what does Peter do? He cannot take it anymore. It says that he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man you're talking about. He wants to do everything possible to ensure that they know that he doesn't know Jesus. He invokes a curse on himself. Maybe something like, may God curse me and my family if I am lying to you. You know, that swear on your grandmother's grave kind of thing. That's what Peter is doing here. I have no connection at all to this man Jesus. That's all it took. A little bit of suffering, a little bit of tweaking, a little bit of twisting, a little bit of calling out, a little bit of danger. And Peter goes from the man who's going to stand next to Jesus all the way to death to keeping a little bit distance, a little more distance, and then we see denial. I don't even know him. And the rooster crows. And he remembers the words of Jesus that this will happen, and Peter breaks down and cries. So we learn from Peter the hard lesson that a safe distance follower can quickly, quickly become a denier if placed in the right circumstances. That's all it takes. Around those people that you want, you want to be accepted by them. That crowd, whatever that crowd is to you, could be an online crowd, could be your workplace, school, wherever it is, I want them to accept me. And all it takes is being in that particular situation or something like it to where they start to question you. And you can just feel this is about to go sideways and I'm going to be cast out. And what you thought you would never say and never do has been done quickly. I'm not like that. I, I don't believe those things. Uh, equivocating, justifying, keeping a safe distance to the point where you're ready to leave Jesus standing there all by himself, walking away. So again, I ask you to search your heart and think over your ways and ask yourself, if right now that you're already here, that you are a safe distance 
follower of Jesus Christ. Remember back to Jesus' words that he said to his disciples there in chapter 8, if anyone would come after me, follow me, that man must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And so following Jesus requires self-denial. But what has Peter done? He's not denied himself. He's denied his Savior. And so Peter's example here teaches us this hard lesson. So I ask, look at your heart. Look at your ways. Look at your words. Look at your posts. And then look to Christ. Praise God for that. If you know the story of Peter, that's what happened with him. I mean, this was his lowest moment. And there came a day that the Lord Jesus is standing in front of him. He'd been humbled. But he had now learned to look at his Savior, who alone was sufficient to cover his sins, even that one. We all need to continue to grow in our ability to look to Jesus. Stop looking at me, right? I've got to stop looking at myself. think I can beat myself up sufficiently to where now God is pleased to bless me. And look to Christ, who is our all-sufficient Savior. He has done everything necessary to cover even your worst sin, whatever that is. Maybe it pops into your mind even right now. You lament the fact that you ever went there, you did that, you said that. But a Christian learns to look to Jesus. That's where our eyes go. We look to him and trust in him. And Peter learned that. What's Jesus doing right here? There's two trials going on that day. So there's a trial down below, one where Peter is denying the truth, and there's a trial up above with Jesus testifying, bearing witness to the truth. Jesus' trial was a charade. It was an attempt by these men to look like they cared about justice. They want to present themselves like they're actually giving him a trial. But everything that they did showed that they had no desire to be just. They did not care about the truth. They only wanted to put him to death. And so they brought in false witnesses. And what does Mark tell us? That even these false witnesses could not agree about their lies. They couldn't even get that right. They met in darkness when Jewish law did not permit that. They gave an immediate sentence of death when they were supposed to wait until the following day and deliberate again just to make sure they were not being too hasty. They did none of these things. This was a complete setup, and Jesus knew it. There's a couple of things that are striking about his trial. We noticed that when Jesus was accused... He was silent. He didn't say anything. And so when the liars spoke evil of him and they made false accusations against him, Jesus said nothing. Why? Why? Because if you and I were in that room, 
And people are being brought in to talk about us and saying all these things that you have not done. What would you do? Would you sit there silent? No way. We're screaming back at these people. I've never done those things. These guys are liars. But not Jesus. Two things come to mind here. First, Jesus was fulfilling the prophecy in Isaiah 53, 7. Here it is. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He is the suffering servant that was prophesied. He has come to do what Isaiah 53 said. Paul referenced that a little while ago as we sang, Man of Sorrows. He came to be bruised for our transgressions. He came to be crushed for our iniquities. So he didn't open his mouth. He's not going to defend himself. But why was it important, though? Why was it really important for him to say nothing? I do think that's a little bit harder for us to understand. He could have spoken. He still would have been killed. I think it has to be that Jesus was committed to his own death. He would simply allow their false accusations to stand if that's all they had against him. They had no evidence to use against him that was worthy of his death. And if you remember, as the story goes on, he gets presented to Pilate. Same thing happens. Pilate asks for all these accusations. And he says, what do you have to say about all this? And Jesus doesn't answer him a word. He says nothing in return. He's willing to die by their sinful lies. So he opens not his mouth. He is silent. But then Jesus does choose to speak. Do you notice that? But when? When does he choose to speak? It is only when they said something that was true. The high priest asks him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed, meaning the Son of God? And Jesus then speaks and says, I am. And you will see me coming on the clouds of glory, coming in judgment against these people. And they know that he's not only claiming to be the Messiah, who they thought was just going to be a man. He's actually claiming to be divine. That he's going to be the one coming in judgment against them. The Son of Man from Daniel. And they immediately then call him a blasphemer and vote for his death. They do not want to investigate these claims. They do not care to. Oh, he gave us something. They take that and they run with it. They don't want to look for truth. They just want him dead. Any excuse that they can have to kill this man, they want him gone. And so they gladly send the Son of God to his death, not because of lies, but because of the truth. Jesus was committed to all of that for us. And so like last week, brothers and sisters, I simply ask that you look to your Savior this morning and understand that everything that Jesus took on himself, the accusations of blasphemy, all the things that they said against him, we could say are actually true of us. And he made no response to take our place so that you do not have to give a response to God like this. He took that on himself for you and for me. And so look at him. 
believe in him and trust in him. He took all of those sins and more so that wretched sinners like us could walk free. And Peter, this great apostle, in his worst moment of weakness and sin, he learned this lesson from Jesus Christ, his Savior. And he quite beautifully teaches it to others some years later in the letter that we call 1 Peter. I don't think that Peter ever got this scene out of his mind. He never forgot this. Just like the Apostle Paul, even in his letters, will hearken back to the times when he was a blasphemer and a murderer. Never got it out of his mind. And maybe there's some sins this morning that you just can't get out of your mind either. And we need to understand that Peter or Paul or whoever, they would have reminders in their hearts of these sins, not so that they could beat themselves up, but so that they could remember the love and the strength of their Savior. God is gracious to sinners like us. And Peter learned that too. Listen to what he says, 1 Peter chapter 2. But if you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He's talking about following Jesus in the steps of suffering. Peter learned that first night when suffering came to him to run away. He ran from suffering. He was not willing to follow in the steps of his Savior, but all these years later he has. And he's now teaching other people the right thing to do is to look to Christ and learn from his example and to do what? He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. It means he did not open his mouth. He stayed silent and continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. We know that Peter wasn't very far from Jesus that night when this first happened. This memory of his that he's going back to in his mind when Jesus was threatened and he did not threaten in return when he was reviled and made no answer. Luke tells us that when Peter denied Jesus that last time and the rooster crowed, that they looked at one another. And that's when Peter began to weep. And so we know that he was able to hear some of those things that were happening, the accusations that were being made against his Savior. And Jesus made no response. And he now is calling other believers who are walking a little behind him, a little more immature, maybe starting to suffer. And he says, learn from Jesus Christ. When you suffer, you follow in his steps. When you are reviled... And somebody screams at you on Facebook, what do you do? You do not revile in return. When people begin to threaten your safety, what do you do? You threaten them back, don't you? That's not the way of Christ. 
It says that he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus knew whose hands he was in. It was the Lord's. His God, his Father, was going to care for him. And we need to be taught the same things. That we don't always have to defend ourselves. Sometimes we turn it over to the hands of God. He will get justice. He will make everything right. And Jesus leaves us that example so that we might follow in his steps. Peter learned that from his Lord. And may we learn that too. We need to understand that we will suffer in this world and we will be tempted to avoid that suffering and to stay at a safe distance. And so look to your Savior this morning and be grateful there is an opportunity for forgiveness, for our safe self-preservation. Peter received that. And if you've already gone over that line, you can receive it too, just like he did. And so humble yourself under God's grace and be willing to suffer for his name. Let's pray together. And while we pray, if the worship team would come on up to the front, we're going to close with the same song that we sang a little while ago, Man of Sorrows. After looking at the Man of Sorrows, there's a line in there that he was silent. Our Savior was silent for us. And he bore what we should have borne. And we're going to close in worship to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you, God, for its truth. It tells us who we are. It exposes who we are. I think everybody in this room, in one way or another, can see themselves in Peter at some moment in life, or maybe even right now. We are tempted, our God, to stay at a safe distance from our Lord when suffering comes our way, when threats come our way, when accusations begin to come our way, and we start to feel like we might be cast out. I pray, Lord, that we would stand firm and follow in the steps and the example of our Savior Jesus. He has blessed us with his spirit to do this very thing, to not deny him, to not play it safe, to claim the truth in love in this world and let everything fall where it may because we have fallen into your arms and we know that we can trust you with everything. We should expect to suffer here. This world does not love the church. It wants the church to conform to it. It wants to cast Christ out of our lives and to make us extremely uncomfortable in the process. May we not let that happen. Give us great faith during this hour and the hour to come to stand for what is right and true and beautiful about our Savior Jesus, whom we proclaim to be holy, holy, holy. And though the darkness might hide him, and though the eye of sinful man may not see his glory, may we as a church see his glory and celebrate him for all that he is and not reject him. He has not rejected us. Give us strength during this day. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.